This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Today, we're going to fast forward in our study to the, to the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians because it's Easter. It's Easter. And interestingly enough, at the very center of what Paul wanted to say to this church in Corinth was the message that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. In fact, the title of the message is From Mess to Masterpiece because really what takes people from being a mess, what takes a church from being a mess to a masterpiece, a beautiful masterpiece, is really nothing less than the power of the resurrection. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, there's probably one in a, in a chair pocket right there in front of you, and, uh, or we'll project some of these passages up front. And we'll see what Paul has to say about the resurrection. We're going to start reading in 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Oh, of course, we've already said that. Ben said that, but uh, you know how that works, right? I say, the Lord is risen. And you say, absolutely. Here we go. Paul writes this. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Uh, I've I've told the story before, but it's a a perfect Easter story, the story about that little third-grade class, little Sunday school class, and the teacher was teaching these children about the resurrection, and they're walking their way through the whole story with little flannel graphs and little, little manipulatives, you know, and teaching the story. And they get to the climax of the story. Jesus has come out of the tomb. He's alive. And she kind of absentmindedly asked the kids, and when Jesus rose from the dead, what did he say? And the one little girl stood up and went, (laughs) ta-da! And yet nothing, nothing could put it together better than that. You see, the story of the resurrection Paul says, is of first importance. What he means is it's foundational. It's core to the Christian faith. Now, you might be here today because it's Easter. You came along with a friend. You're not really a believer. You're not really a religious person. And and by the way, we're really glad you're here. Uh, We hope that you feel right at home. Some of us were in that position not long ago as well. But you might find it interesting that the Christian faith isn't founded on what you might expect it was founded on, especially folks who are kind of uh, not exposed to Christ and to the Christian faith. I grew up in a home that was pretty pagan. I thought churches were the same as Qantas clubs. I didn't know the difference, just places where people hang out. In fact, I remember when they talked about Jesus dying on the cross, and I imagined that there was a big X on a map someplace, and that's what they meant. He died right on the cross, right on the X, like and I thought to myself, boy, that's pretty ironic. If there was an X and then he died right on it, that would be, huh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was the extent of my understanding. 
It was a year later before I found out the cross actually stood up. You see, people get impressions about what Christianity is founded on. We, they might think it's, it's about uh, what you do on a Sunday morning. Or maybe they think Christianity is founded on uh, a certain style of worship. You do realize that this is one of the few places left in all of our culture where we actually sing together. Usually you go someplace, you watch somebody else sing. So maybe they think it's about that. Or, or uh, maybe it's about Bible teaching. In fact, I know Christians who think that the foundation of our faith is on you know, learning more Bible. I'm all for learning Bible, but that's not what our faith is founded on. Perhaps people think Christianity is founded on a certain morality, a, a list of do's and don'ts. And, but the Christian faith is actually founded on one thing. It's this historical fact that Jesus Christ lived, that he walked the, the arid spaces of Judea, Galilee, that he was arrested, that he was flogged, crucified, and that he died. Professional soldiers, soldiers who did this for a living, certified, he was dead. And then they laid him in a tomb. He had to borrow a tomb. He didn't have one of his own. And people knew that there had been a teaching floating out there that in three days after he died, he would rise again. It so concerned the officials that they actually sent a guard and posted it there to make sure, not that he wouldn't rise from the dead. They knew that couldn't happen. Just to make sure that the disciples didn't steal the body and then spread the rumor and make it worse. Of course, what those officials didn't know was that there was no, no big worry that the disciples were going to steal that body. They were scared out of their minds, running for their lives. Now, you see, the Christian faith is based on the fact that with all of those things preceding it, on the third day, on that Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead. And that is the very core of what drives the Christian faith. If you're here today and you've put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, the reason you know you can put your faith in him is because he defeated death. And if you're here today and, like I said, you're kind of checking this out, not really buying in yet, let me just encourage you. If it is true that Jesus didn't just live historically, but that he rose from the dead, as he claimed, as the witnesses claimed, and if it is true that he did that so that he could make an atonement for your sin and mine, so that we could stand before a righteous God, if he did all that and he offers eternal life now as a gift, it's received by faith. If that is true, then perhaps today you want to deal with that truth. And even now, Perhaps you feel something stirring in you. That would be his spirit encouraging you to consider the claims of Christ. You know, the Christian faith is founded on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, I never get tired of hearing that story. Do you? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28. I want to just kind of read through that story again and remind us of what happened. 
Starting in verse 1 of Matthew 28, the scriptures say this. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Hmm, what a scene, huh? These dear women, uh, and yes, ladies, we are aware of the fact that the men are still hiding. (laughs) The men are hiding, but these women, first of all, what is it that would move a woman to revisit the tomb of someone who had died, someone they loved? We can identify with that feeling, can't we? That kind of devotion and passion. It's interesting. It says that they went to, to the tomb just, just to be near, just to see. And when they got there, there was an angel there. Describes him as being white and bright. And it says he rolled back the stone and, and he sat on it. I, I spent more time than I should have this week trying to figure out why an angel would sit. <laughs> I'm serious. Let's do a little bit of deep theological consternation here. Why does an angel sit? I know why I sit. I sit because I'm tired. Happens more often than not. And yet, it's hard to imagine an angel, uh, an angelic being, this spiritual powerhouse, sitting because, whew, boy, that trip from heaven is a long one. Boy, that stone was heavy. Well, I'm just, I'm wiped out, you know. Doing that scare tactic with those, you know, those Roman soldiers. Whoa! I mean, I'm tired from that. Of course, besides sitting because we're tired, sometimes we sit because we want to communicate nothing left to do. No work to be done. He rolled back the stone not to let Jesus out. Verse 5. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now, I've told you. I can almost hear the attitude in his voice. There, I'm done. Okay? Now I told you. Roll the stone, take a look. He's not here. Really, he's not here. Could you imagine? Can you imagine the shock? Well, in fact, it's captured in this next little passage. Verse 8. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. <laughs> he thought the angel was, was impressive. Greetings, he said. They came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshipped him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the emotion that would cause you to fall to someone's feet and clasp their, their ankles and hang on for dear life? Just in this past week, 
We've been shocked with news of another terrorist attack. And we see destroyed buildings and debris. We hear about perpetrators and we hear about victims. Some are still unaccounted for. Can you imagine the mother or father who is waiting to hear what happened to their child and then suddenly there's a knock at the door and there they are. And you grab your mouth and then you'd grab the first part of their body you could and you'd wrap it in an embrace. That was the emotion that these women felt. Then Jesus said to them, verse 10, do not be afraid. Now, I want to ask you some questions. The angel told them, don't be afraid. Why would they be afraid? Because they just saw their master crucified. All their hopes dashed. And yet, they also saw those mighty Roman soldiers standing there like wooden Indians. That had to be gratifying, don't you think? Watching these big tough guys, special ops guys, you know, excuse me, I'm going to have to go change my pants, like, you know, scared to death. And now, he's alive, and yet he says to them, don't be afraid. Hmm. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There you will see me. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. There it is again. Fear. Fear and joy. They were afraid, yet filled with joy. Wouldn't you think that those emotions would kind of counter each other out? How is it that you could be afraid and full of joy at the same time? What were they feeling? Well, well, wait, we just talked about what it would be like if one of your children was missing and suddenly you saw them. And when you grabbed and embraced them, when you loved and hugged on them, wouldn't you actually still be feeling the effects of that fear? In fact, perhaps what you experience is the final outpouring of all those fears that you've been holding in and stuffing back and terrible thoughts you were pushing out of your mind and suddenly it was safe to just let them go because you knew your worst fears were not happening. And so even as you clung to them, you would think about what you were afraid of. But as you experience that fear, it would be leaving. It would be pouring out, coming with the tears, coming with the sobs. You would be filled with fear and Joy. You know, sometimes it takes a while for fear to leave our bodies. It takes a little bit of time. Have you ever had somebody play a practical joke on you? I've played a few, and I'm not going to share any of them today. But suffice it to say that there's some sick satisfaction in getting somebody petrified. And usually, you know, your heartbeat goes from normal and it pegs at a nine in an instant, doesn't it? Every, rubber snake, rubber s spider, 
mask, you know, ah, right? And you go from a zero to nine, you're just, your heart's, ah, ah, ah. Now, once you find out that it's actually just a joke, does your heart and everything drop right back down to zero? No. For the next 20 minutes, you're like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And then sometime after that, you need a nap because your brain starts counteracting all that adrenaline. And See, fear is one of those things that has to be, has to be um, diluted in our lives. It doesn't leave with a single announcement because it has this tendency chemically to filter into every cell in our body. And so fear is diluted by what? By truth. Fear is diluted by truth. These women had experienced such brutality, such pain. If you're like me, I still can't watch the movies of Christ's crucifixion. I, I can't. I just cannot. And yet they saw this happen to the one they loved. But now here he is. He stands before them. And so now this process of fear, is, it's, the process has started. It's being diluted. You see, even though they still feel some of the anxiety, the biggest threat that they had been facing had actually been defeated. Now it's just a matter of letting that truth begin to filter into every part of their lives. It's funny, isn't it, how experiences from our childhood stay with us? You have a few. We all do. In fact, the older I get, the more profound it seems that things that happened to me when I was such a little person can still impact me today. Isn't that true? Good things or bad things? I, I mean, I can prove it. Let's talk about report cards for a minute. Now, some of you, like my sister, report cards were simply another opportunity to show your superiority over your big brother. You did well, perhaps, in school. Good for you. The rest of us, not so much. And maybe you remember what it was like to be looking at this card and they're saying, take it home to your parents. And you're thinking, no way. There's just no way. I am not. This, something will, something's going to happen on the way home today. This is not making it in front of my parents. You know, if we, each of us as adults, received a report card for our life, If we were to pull this report card out of its little envelope and open the card and see the categories, you know, there's like all these extra things like gym and eating lunch. I did great with those, right? <laughs> Straight A's on that side of the book, right? Did great. But over here where all the core courses were, all the important stuff, that's where your eyes first go. And for most of us, all of humanity would have the same three grades listed. F, F, F. There are at least three major grades that we receive an F in. And the resurrection addresses those. And I want to take a minute to look at those this morning. The first one would be this, 
Failure. Failure. You see, every one of us kind of intrinsically knows that we have failed. Now, some of us, it's almost pathological or psychologically unstable. We're not talking about that. Just this idea that we have this ideal in our mind and that we haven't lived up to our own expectations. We haven't lived up to the expectations of others. Not to mention, if there is a God. I've spoken to people when they, I, I don't really believe in God. And I'll, I'll say, is it that you don't believe or is it that you, you don't like the idea of there being a God? Because I understand. If there is a God, if there is some superior spiritual being, then suddenly we have to deal with him, and I don't think I have done what he expected. I've, I've asked, if there were a God, would you say that you've met his expectations or not? Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you, you haven't. There's this deep awareness that we have failed. And we carry that just like a child carrying that report card home, joking with friends on the bus, you know, do-do-do. But in the back of our minds, we know, my life is almost over. Romans 3.23 lays the facts out. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said the same thing when he said, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to their own way. We don't just sin, we cause others to sin. We fail. Peter knew a lot about failure. The disciple, Peter. I don't know if, how much of this story you know, but before the crucifixion scene, before Jesus was arrested, Jesus was sitting with his disciples enjoying the Passover meal. And in that meal, he had warned that someone would betray him. And in that setting, there was this... Peter was a funny cat. He really, really was devoted to Jesus. So much so that he really thought he was probably more devoted than the rest of the disciples. He even was so bold as to tell Jesus that. Look, if everyone else leaves you, I will not. you got to love him. Isn't that what you would want to say? I'm going to stick with you no matter what these other knuckleheads do. And Jesus turned to him and said, Peter, before the cock crows, before the sun rises, you're going to deny me three times. Cut to the quick. And yet, as the story goes, hey, I know you. Weren't you with him? No. A little girl says, wait, you sound like a Galilean. I, you were one of the guys. I wasn't. He curses and says, I never knew the man and the crow or the cock crows. Can you imagine? We said the women had experienced pain. Can you imagine what Peter experienced? He experienced all the loss that they did, but they hadn't made the promises that he made. And Jesus even warned him. It's one thing to suspect you're a failure. It's quite another to have somebody prophesy how you're going to fail and you still do it. The people that would be the greatest comfort to Peter, those that would come around him, you'd expect even other disciples to say, hey, we all blew it in some way, but he couldn't even go face them. He really was alone. 
In fact, that's what failure like this does to all of us. We feel alone. I think that's why, I think that's why the message to the women was spoken the way it was. The writer of Mark, the writer of his gospel, he adds something that the other gospel writers don't say. In, in Mark 16, uh, the same account of, of the angel speaking to the women near the tomb. And, and we read this starting in verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And now listen to this. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Why? Wait, wait. I mean, Peter was one of the disciples. It's almost as though the angel knows he's going to need an engraved personal invitation. <laughs> he's not even going to see himself as one of those disciples. Go tell them all, oh, and, and even Peter. And you know what truth is tucked in there? The truth about the resurrection, actually, is that the resurrection eliminates the effects of our failures. It can transcend our failures. It doesn't mean that we don't fail. It means that, that the impact that they have on us and others can be corrected through the resurrection. Listen to the rest of Isaiah 53. We, we looked at Isaiah 53, the first part. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Romans says something very powerful. Romans 4. He was delivered over to death for our sins. And he was raised to life for our justification. Everyone that we see, every human being deals with failure. And it's only the resurrection that can turn that F into a passing grade. It's not the only F on our report card, though. The second one, perhaps, would be futility. In Ephesians 1, we read this. In him you also were chosen. I'll pause there for a second. Have you ever wondered why am I here? Maybe as you're a believer and you say, well, I think it's supposed to help answer that question. And yet everyone is struggling with that idea of what is my purpose? What's, what am I here to do? Am I significant? I want to suggest that if, I, if, if our significance, if my significance comes from my performance, my job, my hobby, my income, my looks, my whatever. If our significance comes from our performance, then our failures, the first grade, are going to constantly undermine our sense of significance. If we look to these outward things for significance, ultimately the failure that we experience will, will undermine us and leave nothing but futility for our lives. Our world is filled with people who are doing everything they can to not face this fact. So what? Well, I did better than you. So what? I have more money than you. So what? 
what does it all matter if, I don't want to talk about that, right now the score is 6 me, 0 you. Okay, we're not even to halftime yet. They do not want to deal with this truth. Mark Twain said something very powerful at the end of his life. We think of Mark Twain as, I mean, he's such a wit, such a thinker, such an American mind. But I want you to hear what he said. This is in the last years of his life. A myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle. They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for a little mean advantage over each other. Age creeps up on them. Infirmities follow. Those they love are taken from them, and the joy of life is turned into aching grief. It, the release of death, comes at last. It is the only unpoisoned gift earth has ever given them. They vanish from a world where they were of no consequence, a world which will lament them for a day and then forget them forever. I was in a church cemetery not long ago. I've been walking around, praying, thinking. And as I looked at gravestones, and I, thought, I was trying to force myself to realize that each of those was a person. Each of those had a story. And I thought to myself, I guess... I guess if I really cared, I, I could dig a little bit of information, you know, ancestry.com or something. There's websites that list people in cemeteries. Oh, I don't know. I, I could find out who they were and what they did if I cared enough to do that. And I realized that even if I had done that, I still didn't care. They're long gone. Wait a minute. That'll be me someday. Long gone. No thinking person can face that truth and not have a sense that life is futile. It's a waste of time. Unless God changes it, which is exactly what we see in Ephesians 1. In him, Jesus Christ, we were also chosen having been predestined, he planned ahead of time, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. How many more ways could Paul say in Ephesians, there's a plan, there's a purpose, there's a reason. Do you understand that a reason, a purpose, is the opposite of futility? If you have purpose, your life is not futile. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Do you realize that at the resurrection, God took a life that was potentially futile. And not only did he give it purpose, he gave it the most glorious purpose. To bring glory to God himself. To know him and walk with him and serve him. That happened when Jesus rose from the dead. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. 
there's a sense that even when things don't go according to our plan, they're still going according to his plan. First Peter says something similar. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know what the cure for futility is? Hope and purpose. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he turned that grade of an F, futility, into more than a passing grade, an excellent grade. There is purpose. Listen to what Paul wrote to his, his young his young Padawan learner in 2 Timothy. He saved us and he called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but now it has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Do you realize that Jesus didn't just escape death? He didn't just dodge death. He didn't suspend it for a little bit. He endured it. He went right through it and then destroyed it. Death is something that could only be destroyed from the inside out. And so Jesus went in and opened the door so that no longer did it have to hold any human captive. Finally, finality. Failure leads to a sense of futility, but then there's this problem of finality. You see, it's one thing to have problems, but it's another thing to die in your problems. It's another thing to end on a bad note if there isn't another opportunity, if if this is all there is, then it makes this problem an eternal problem. But when Paul writes to the book of, to the church in Corinth, he addresses this very thing. And so we're going to skip back to Corinth before we close this morning. In 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12, he says this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified that God, about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he, if he did not raise him from the dead... In fact, he did not raise him from the dead, if in fact the dead are not raised. For the dead are, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Actually, I won't take the time to point it out, but all three of those F grades are right in that passage. Verse 14, verse 16, verse 17. Failure due to our sin 
futility of life and a finality of the penalty. You see, the Corinthians, they were starting to debate back and forth about whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead, whether it was necessary. What Paul says is, I don't think you understand how central this is. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then there is no hope. Do you realize what the positive side of that message is? Because Jesus did rise from the dead, there is hope. You see, his atoning death can clear the penalty of our failures, our sins. His call on those who believe, come and be my child, come and know me and walk with me and serve me and build this kingdom of ours, takes a life that was futile and turns it into a life filled with purpose. And the very nature of this life is one that has no end. Our life group has been doing this little study called Soul Keeping and it kind of follows the life of Dallas Willard, one of my favorite writers. Uh, John uh, Ortberg was a, a kind of a student of Dallas's, and there's some interviews and those kinds of things. Dallas was a profoundly spiritual guy. And as Dallas was getting sick, battling cancer, coming close to the end of his life, and John was interacting as other friends were, and Dallas made a comment. See, Dallas was a professor of psychology at UCLA. He was the chairman of the department, a deep thinker. And he realized that who we are is really a series of consciousness, conscious thoughts. You, right now, you are aware of my voice. You are aware of where you're sitting. You're aware of the temperature in the room. You're aware of your own feelings stirring as we talk. You're aware of all these things. It's a conscious awareness. He said that's what it means to be us, to be a person, a soul, is to be self-aware. And then he said something about dying as a believer. He said, I realize that when I die, it might be some time before I realize I've died. <laughs> Do you know why that would be? Because of the resurrection. Verse 50, Paul says this. Finally, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. I know normally that verse is on a plaque in a, in a church nursery. Get it? We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Anyway. Okay, think about it at home over lunch, okay? But instead, of course, he's not talking about babies in a nursery. He's talking about this timing of receiving resurrection life. And what he reveals is a mystery. What nobody understood before was how this was going to work. And he says, someday Jesus will return. He will return. And when he does, those who are dead will be raised. And then there are going to be some who haven't died yet. And what will happen to them? He says, he says that perishable will inherit imperishable. We're not going to sleep. We're going to be changed. What will that change be like? In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. We kind of know what that's like. Have you ever woke? 
from a dream and it took you a moment to figure out that it wasn't reality, but it seems so real, the moment you open your eyes, you realize, okay, that was crazy. I am not a, bi- a billionaire, you know, or I'm, I'm not able to fly or whatever, whatever it was. But in that moment, with, with just simply, you open your eyes, you see where you are, and you realize what is true. I don't know how you viewed sleeping, but I think sometimes we ought to think about sleeping like death practice. (laughs) Death practice, practicing for dying. Because when you and I die, we're going to do the exact same thing we do every evening. Eventually, we're not going to be especially mobile, probably going to be laying flat on our back, and at some point, our eyes will close and our sense of reality will change. Right? Right now, we go from what we think is reality into a not reality. Is it so hard to believe that the God who could create this entire universe, created our bodies, created our minds, created our souls, is it so hard to believe that the truth will be that one day we will lay down close our eyes to what we thought was reality and open them to what really is reality. By the way, how long does it take you to go from dream to realizing it was just a dream? Isn't it just a moment? Like a twinkle of an eye. He says, at the last trumpet, God's call. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for imperishable must clothe itself with imperishable and mortal with immortality. And then he goes on. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Your victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? He's quoting from... Uh, Isaiah and from Hosea, Old Testament prophets. The sting of death is sin. F number one. And the power of sin is the law. F number two, futility. None of us can obey God's law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The third F banished as well. In the book of John, Jesus was talking. Remember at the resurrection of Lazarus. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he adds this. Maybe not. He says, do you believe this? This morning, if you know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to understand, I think Paul wants us to understand how close the reality of resurrection life is to us. It's as close as it is from us waking from a dream, a blink of an eye. 
And what seemed like a dream becomes reality, and it's a reality that's eternal. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you to understand none of us is guaranteed the next minute, the next hour. What would stop you from putting your faith in Christ as your Savior today? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. But then he asks, do you believe this? And if so, will you follow me? Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.